touch your people. Let's open up to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. And then he wrote the dream down and related the following summation of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from each other. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasting. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his, his vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was blazing with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. And a river of fire was flowing and coming from before him out. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. This is a picture of world history. World history from the first great world empire that took Jerusalem to Rome, the, the great world empire at the end. But first, I want to get into, first what we're going to do is I'm going to get into the nutshell of world history. This is the first part. There's going to be more than one on this because today we're going to go from a certain point in history up to the destruction of the temple, up to Rome. But we're going to, this principle is going to take us ultimately, before we finish this, this uh, series, it's going to take us to the United States of America. This principle is so exact, it's so amazing, that it goes from the time of the pharaohs all the way to 2013. And it explains world history in an amazing way. And the first thing I'm going to do is going to give you a nutshell of ancient history. And that secondly... We're then going to start tying it in to things that happen in the Bible linked to that world history. And third, after that, then we're going to get into this secret or key of world history that unlocks world history. And so you will be understanding more than of what's going on in the world, more than renowned scholars of the age. See, you know, I can't go through every kingdom in this series, of course. There are many nations and peoples and kingdoms and many very substantial ones. For instance, China, India, Latin America, all these things. But we're going to follow the center cord of world history, the focus, the vortex of world empires, and see some amazing things. 
And we're going to see some, the, first the sweep. Civilization begins as we know it in what is called Mesopotamia. Called, you learned this, some of us in school, called the cradle of civilization, the fertile crescent, because it looks like a, a crescent. It's, a, it's the fertile part of the Middle Eastern desert. It surrounds the rivers of the Middle East, and that's where land, that's where these, these kingdoms arose, particularly the land of Iraq, of all places, beginning in the mountains of Armenia, flowing down to the Persian Gulf. That's where it all pretty much began, particularly in the south of this region, which was called Sumer. More than any other people, the Sumerians shaped the, the Mesopotamian civilization. And they were living originally in kind of independent city-states. Around 2000 BC, they united. Writing as we know it came from Sumer. That in other words, you know, you had hieroglyphics where basically a, a picture was what it was. But you had now symbols taking over from pictures, which is going to lead to writing. It began in Sumer. About 2000, 2150 BC, they come under the leadership of a city named Ur. Does that sound familiar? And Ur, which it just so happened, and this is another, we've done another thing called the D33, uh, may not get it right, D32, what, eight, I think, uh, the secret of world history, which also deals with the centrality, the centrality of God's purpose. Notice, Abraham will end up being right in the center of world history. Today, it's, it's more like America, New York, Israel, and other places. That's where always the Jewish people, God keeps them there. But here, Ur of the Chaldees, they drive out foreign invaders, they reunite, and, and they reunite Sumer and the region called Akkad under their rule. The Sumerian independence is short-lived. Around 2000 BC, they are conquered by the Elamites. About 1900 BC, the Amorites invade. You hear all these people in the Bible. They establish a capital at the village of called Babylon the kingdom of Babylon. And they have a famous king called Hammurabi, the Code of Hammurabi, 1728 to 1686 BC. It reaches its peak around 1900 to 1595 BC. That's the, the first Babylonian kingdom. Then you come, there's another, another kingdom developing, another great center of the world, ancient civilization, and that is called in Hebrew Mitzrayim, and it's called in English Egypt. The first or old kingdom, it has three periods. You got the Egypt old kingdom, the middle kingdom, and the new kingdom or empire. And so it comes around, you know, in, in the late middle kingdom, the pharaohs extended their power to the land of Israel. But around 1750 BC, something happened. They are invaded by a people called the Hyksos. They invaded them. Who were the Hyksos? It's, it's a Greek version of an Egyptian word that literally means foreign rulers. Now, most likely, the Hyksos were actually Semitic people linked to, the, linked to the Jewish people. And they ruled around 1648 to 1540. And so the 1500s, the Egyptians drove them out, and they ushered in the last big empire of Egypt, called the Empire. They reached its peak. It reached its peak under King or Pharaoh Tutmos III and Ramesses the Great, who you know about. Ramesses built all these things. There's a question about how they linked up with the Exodus. We'll get to that after. And after that big kingdom comes a long decline, a long decline for Egypt. 
And about tw by 1200 BC, Egypt is stripped of all its foreign territories. And it becomes pretty much isolated in many ways to the Nile. Egypt would never again be a great world power after that. And around 1200 comes this invasion across the Middle East called the Sea Peoples. And here these, are, these Sea Peoples, some of the Sea Peoples are called the Philistines. They most likely were Greek-based people, and they are, they are sailing, and they're coming by, the, or they're coming by the sea, and they sweep over Egypt, they sweep over this whole region, it's instable, it's, it's unstable, Egypt deteriorates and continues to de deteriorate. Now the next, another great civilization that arises around the year 1000 BC, around there, is a little kingdom, it really would never have risen up unless there was a big power vacuum. There was a power vacuum. So this, for a little brief moment, this kingdom rises up on, in the center of world history, or as even the peak in some ways, and that's called the little kingdom of Israel. And here it is, it's ruled by a, first a king named Shaul, or Saul, of course, and then David. I mean, it shows you how much there was this big power vacuum when a little shepherd boy could become just about the most powerful man in the world. After the death of Solomon, it splits into two. On the top are the northern ten tribes. On the south are the southern two tribes. Then comes the next great empire. World empire, that's the empire of Ashur or the Assyrians. The Assyrians are another Semitic people. They move into the Mesopotamian Valley. And they, it's basically, they were a huge war machine. They were known for sadistic cruelty. They made them, the, made them the most feared people, the most hated people of the ancient world. Enemy soldiers were skinned alive, impaled on stakes, or severely mutilated. So were citizens, and entire citizens were slaughtered. Or they would, they would mutilate them and put them in cages and bring them to the walls of the city that they were going to attack. And the city would just, re, just surrender to them rather than fall into the hands of the Assyrians. Around 883 B.C., ashur rises in Assyria and it begins a western conquest. It's, uh, it's as if it was drawn to Israel. All these great powers in some ways are drawn to Israel. It will become the major power of the world around this time. Assyrian Empire reaches its peak under the king named Sargon in 722, and then Sennacherib in 705, and Esarhaddon and Ashurbanipal. You see all these names in the Bible. They conquered much of the known world back then. Egypt, Phoenicia, everything fell to them. And they're ultimately even going to sweep across Egypt at that time, joining the entire region together. But then comes the next kingdom that rises, and this is where Daniel sees the creatures. The kingdom is again called Babylon. It is, some, in some history books, it's called Neo-Babylon. It's the new Babylonian, Babylonian kingdom. It's the revival of Babylon. And so after the death of the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal, the Assyrian Empire goes into rapid decline. And so here, a Semitic people, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, they rebel and they're led by a king whose name is Nabopolassar. He had served the Assyrians as a, as a governor, but now he rises up against them, he senses weakness, and he captures the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. In 612 BC, he destroys it. The new Babylonian empire rises under King Nabopolassar. 
And then under his son, who is called Nebuchadnezzar, or you know this in the Bible, this is Nebuchadnezzar, who then joins the, the Middle East. He sweeps across Egypt, Mesopotamia, becomes the great Babylonian empire of Daniel. And literally, and well, and it's going to all go with, it's going to be, this is the background to understand the Bible. The next world power that rises up in Daniel's vision, it was the bear. It rises up in about 559 BC, the prince of this people called Sirush or Cyrus, he becomes king of the Persians. And he rises up, Cyrus overthrows the Babylonians about 539 BC, conquers Babylon, Persia, now the great Persian empire, dominates the ancient world. It's the largest empire ever known, from the Nile to India. When you read about Purim, you read about that at the very beginning, how big this empire was. At its height, I mean, it conquered all these things. And then under Darius, or Darius, it conquers northern Greece. But as it starts coming in contact with Greece, it starts getting drained. And this new empire starts rising a little in, 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 in uh, Daniel's vision. It is the leopard. It's fast. It's ferocious. It's not big. In, in, in it's, it's not weighty, rather. It's light, but it's fast. And this is the Greek empire under Philip of Macedon and his son Alexander the Great. He defeats the Persians and he sweeps across with his men, sweeps across the Middle East, sweeps across Israel, sweeps across all, even up to around India. When he dies, his kingdom splits as in Daniel. It becomes, there are four heads that rise up. It splits into four kingdoms among his generals. The two most prominent kingdoms of these two of these four is the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire and one is Ptolemaic or is Egypt and the Seleucid is Syria around there it's divided up and now the fact is they are actually it's a Greek Empire they seek to make everyone Greek they seek to be a universal Empire that everybody will be drawn into Greek culture then comes another, the last of the ancient powers, or the, the great powers, and of Daniel's creatures. In the second century BC, a new power makes its way known to the West. From the Italian peninsula, Rome, expanding under General Pompey, and then the next Julius Caesar. And then after Caesar's death comes a power struggle with Mark Antony, Cleopatra, of the Ptolemaic Empire that we just spoke about, of Alexander, and Octavius, who's adopted as the son of Julius Caesar, adopted son, who will then later become known as Augustus. And he will be hailed as the first emperor of Rome, the new empire. A few decades before the first century, Rome becomes the empire of empires. The gospel begins under Rome. It says in the year in which Caesar Augustus reigned, when the birth of Messiah, that is the backdrop. Now that is a sweep right now. I just gave you in, I don't know what, 10 minutes, I gave you the whole sweep of ancient, of ancient history that's the background of the Bible. But now let's go back. And let's kind of lift a veil a little bit to see how what you read in the Bible goes together with what I just said. And then we're going to open up this key of world history. You have, we started with Mesopotamia. Now it's interesting because the Bible starts out with the Garden of Eden. And in Eden, you have four rivers. 
And two of those rivers are the Tigris and the Euphrates. Another one may be the Nile. And so it's interesting that where the Bible says everything started, it's the same place where historians say civilization started. In the same area of the rivers. In fact, Mesopotamia, you know what it means? Mesopotamia, meso means in the middle of, and potamia, like the, like the Potomac, the, in, in Washington, means the river. It means in, in between the rivers. Which rivers? The same rivers that are mentioned in the Garden of Eden. It all happens around there. And then you, when you look at Egypt, you have this great center, the Egypt, which is by the Nile, the other river. And we said that around a certain time, 1750, these invaders come in, the Hyksos, which is interesting because when you look at the names of these invaders who took over Egypt for a time, their names are Semitic, like they have names like Baal, or like one, one name has Yaakov, like Jacob in it. And so it kind of makes sense that they would be more open to the Hebrews, Joseph, when they came in. But once the Egyptians drove them out, it makes sense that arose the pharaohs who did not know Joseph, who now are against the Hebrews, because the Hebrews are seen as similar to these people. So it kind of make, it makes sense that then they would enslave, or they would, they would come against and fear the Israelites. Then you have the invasion of the sea peoples I talked about, as, as Egypt starts falling apart. And this again was linked to the Philistines, David and Goliath, um, Samson and Delilah. All that is all part of this backdrop. Or all, or all backed up by it. Around 1000 BC, as I said, you have, for the first, Israel just comes out of the vacuum, and it's God's plan. It's amazing. They are ruling, and when David and Solomon are ruling, they are at the height of world power. I mean, it's amazing from nothing to suddenly this height. And it's interesting because if they had stayed following God, if Israel had followed God, the whole history of the world could have been different. I mean, God is sovereign. We're not getting into that, but the fact is that as they started falling away from God, then their enemies started rising up. So the thing is, if they had stayed under God, there's a chance that God would have kept everybody there, because that's what he did. But then he allows Assyria to rise up. And yet you could say that all history centers around God, of course, and all history also centers around God's people and God's plan. As they turned away from God, that's when the, quote, the Gentile world kingdoms began to rise and threaten them. And that's what happened. Assyria is the empire of Nineveh. That's Jonah. That's the whole background of Jonah. So when Jonah, when you, see, you can understand Jonah a little bit more, you know, it would be like God calling you to go to Nazi Germany that they could get saved. And so if you're Jewish, you went through that, you might not want to do that. So Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because of how horrible these people were. But he did. The North Kingdom, that North Kingdom, which is really the backdrop of the harbinger, the North Kingdom, Hosea had warned them, Amos had warned them, but by 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire sweeps in and judgment finally falls on them through Assyria. That's the Syrians are the, actually we mentioned this, the Assyrians are the fathers of terrorism. Every terrorist comes in some way, is descended spiritually from the Assyrians. Follow their, they invented terror as we know it. And they come in and they wipe it away. And then you have the, you, that's where you begin with the 10 lost tribes. They were taken by Assyria. So you see the whole, this goes right in how the, in the Bible goes. Here you have the story of King Hezekiah. And when that, the Assyrians come to him in the south in Judah. 
and they surround Jerusalem, he, he instead comes to God and says, God, you have to help us. And what happens is that, you know, that you, you can understand how fearful they are with the Assyrians, how awful the Assyrians were all sur around all the walls of Jerusalem. And the people know if they get in those walls, they are finished. There's going to be horror and terror. So you can understand more what that was like for Hezekiah. He goes, he brings it to God and says, God, help us. And what happens as he does that? It says, the Bible says, and God sent one angel to help. And that angel struck down thousands and thousands, the entire Assyrian army in one night. And the amazing thing is that if you look in history at a map, the Assyrian Empire went all across, but it didn't get Judah. There's something stopped it from getting Judah. And there is actually, I mentioned this, there's actually in a Greek historian, in Greek history, it actually, it's kind of like they got something, they got an echo of this, because they wrote about a time when the Assyrian Empire was outside a city, and suddenly it was struck by a plague. But it matches what the Bible says about Israel. Then you have the rise of Babylon, we spoke about. How does that link with the Bible? Well, this is, this is the backdrop of Daniel. This is the backdrop of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. That Babylon is rising up and Jeremiah rises up and Jeremiah will warn Judah of the judgment coming through Babylon. And he tells the king of Judah, submit to Babylon. But all the false prophets are saying, no, 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 God's going to bless you, prosperity, don't worry about it. And, and, and they are all false. The people will reject Jeremiah, but the king will be taken captive to Babylon and blinded and his sons will be killed. And Babylon will be the kingdom that destroys Judah and Jerusalem and the temple and brings God's people into captivity. The Babylonian captivity, 70 years, they destroy Israel. When, when Jeremiah, we believe, who is writing lamentations, he's weeping over Jerusalem, that's the work of Babylon. So they go, Babylon, as Daniel saw the lion with wings of an eagle. And then, as we saw, the next power was Persia. So the Bible speaks in Daniel of Persia taking over Babylon. And it's this massive bear. It's massive. It's big. It's cumbersome. And then you have the kingdom. You have, you have Ezra and Nehemiah and Cyrus. That's all under Persia. Because the Persian Empire actually did something good. They let the Jewish people return to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem. So they actually blessed Israel. And that's where you have then Esther and Mordecai. And then the, the, the Persian Empire almost destroys the Jewish people. But it doesn't happen. Now the Old Testament ends with the Persian Empire. But then between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've got the Greeks. And that's where you have Alexander. With a leopard with the four, the four heads and the wings. And there you have it, and that's where you have the, it's the Greek or the, 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 the generals of Alexander who make up this new empire, the Syrian empire or, or Seleucid empire, and that's where you get Hanukkah. The background of Hanukkah is the Greek empire where they tried to destroy the Jewish faith. And the man who rises up, the Greek emperor, uh, king, is Antiochus Epiphanes. He's a foreshadow of the Antichrist. And he's going to fight over, the, you, know, for, you know, for years, the, the, the two kingdoms, the, the Ptolemies of, of Alexander in Egypt and the Syrians with Antiochus, they would fight over Israel. And from the, the south, the Ptolemies, that you would come, you, Cleopatra. 
Cleopatra really wasn't Egyptian. She was Greek. She was a descendant of the general of Alexander's. And so you have this thing. And so you have the whole Hanukkah story with the Greeks in back of it. But then the Bible speaks of the fourth kingdom, Rome, the one that is unlike all the other kingdoms. It's, wor it's more terrible and more, more, more mighty than all the others. Iron and clay, it tramples down everything. That's the background of the New Testament. All under Rome. Herod, he's appointed by Rome. And then the Pontius Pilate, appointed by Rome. Herod Agrippa, appointed by Rome. Felix, Festus, Roman names. Until the revolt, the Jewish people re have a revolt against Rome. And in the latter part, just before, a few years before 70 AD, the book of Acts is all Rome. The rest of world history, is, is, it takes place after, the, it's Rome coming. And so you see God's hand in this and intertwining the history of the world with the history of his people. Now, we're going to uncover now the key. That's going to reveal the story behind the story of the key of world history. And now for that to happen, we need to turn to Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to look at something. We're going to begin something now that's going to go, I mean, ultimately... We will see what's happening in the world right now is exactly tied into what was happening then. Now the Lord said to Abram, Avram, go forth from your country and go from your father's house, your relatives, to the land I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I'll make your name great so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God takes a man in Babylonia, in Sumer, in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation, and whoever blesses you will be blessed. And whoever curses you will be cursed. Or in other words, the Abrahamic covenant. Now you can take it, Either in a, very, in a very small way, in that simply it only means this, I will bless you and I will curse those who curse. Or a larger way that what it's saying is, not only that, but whatever you do to the Jewish people or Israel or Abraham's descendants, it will come back to you. It will be reciprocated back. So if you bless, it comes back as blessing. If you curse, it comes back as cursing. This is true for nations and individuals alike. I have never met a person who hated the Jewish people and prospered, was a blessed person. Never. I've never met a person who loved the Jewish people in God and wasn't blessed in some way. So here we're going to see something, the actual history of the world revolving around this secret. I mean, this key, a secret to the world. Egypt, look at Egypt. It rises to the height of its power. The children of Israel are inside of it when it rises. The Egyptian empire. And then they turn against the Jewish people. They strip them of their status. They strip them of their rights. They make them slaves. Their possessions, everything stripped. The Egyptian empire. So what happens to Egypt? Abrahamic covenant. They strip them. They enslave them. 
Egypt, from the height of world power, Egypt collapses. It enters a long period of decline. You can almost take it as the Pharaoh is heading to the Red Sea and his, the Red Sea sweeps his army. That's the beginning of the end. Egypt enters a long period of decline as Egypt stripped the children of Israel of its possessions and status as a people. One historian writes, Egypt was stripped of all its territories. Egypt was stripped continuously. It went into a long decline until it became a second-rate power, a vestige, a shadow of its former self. The famous poet Shelley wrote a famous poem in 1817 concerning a man called Ozymandias. Ozymandias was referring to Ramses the Great, the Pharaoh. And who, who, who was around the time of the Exodus somewhere, the last great, great Egyptian pharaoh who built monuments to himself all over. And Shelley wrote this. He said, I met a man from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survived stamped on those lifeless things, the hand that mocked them. Power, you know, because one of the, th what else, something about dunamahi, it also means the possible. The power of the spirit is the power of the possible. Interesting. Even in English, the word can can mean two different things. It can mean, I mean, I can do it, or it can happen. It's possible. So the power of the spirit of can, dunamahi, also means the power of possible. What does that mean? Possibility. What does it mean? I mean, if things are possible anyway, then you don't need a power of the possible. Because then it just is what it is. If something's possible, you don't make it. I mean, it doesn't mean anything to have power if it's already possible to make it possible. What does it mean? It means it's the power to make possible that which is impossible. It's the power to take that which is impossible and make it possible. How is that possible? How, if something's impossible, it can never be possible again. How is that possible? How can it? The key is dunamahi, the spirit does not obey the laws of this world. So with the scripture, remember the scripture, God says, nothing shall be impossible for you. You know, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Actually, he could have easily said, you know, he said, well, nothing is impossible. It says nothing shall be impossible. In other words, it might be impossible, but it'll stop being impossible. It'll change from being impossible by the power of God. That which couldn't happen can happen. The virgin shall be with child. Now take all those things in your life that just were impossible, all those situations that this is an impossible situation, this is an impossible problem, it's an impossible thing we're struggling with, and apply the power of dunamahi, where the impossible becomes possible. And dunamahi is also the power of miracles. The power, literally mean the power of miraculousness. Where the blind see and the crippled walk. That's the power of dunamahi. In the scripture, Messiah is called. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be wonderful. And we say wonderful counselor, but 
It may stand alone. Wonderful in Hebrew, the word is peleh. And peleh means the wonder, but it also means that which is too high and too hard and too amazing. It's, that's what this is. That's what he is. It means what was too hard for me in him, it's not too hard anymore. What, what was a wonder, I, it just is so, it's crazy that this could be me, or this, I could be any part of this, but it's going to happen in him, for the power of Peleh. The Spirit gives you the power to do what is miraculous. Dunamahi, I can. But what can is it? The I can. You know, Messiah asked the one who needs healing. Matthew 9, 27, he says, Do you believe that I am able? I am able. Are you willing? If you're willing, Lord, you can do it. I am willing. I am able. It's the power. The dunamahi is the power, not just of someone saying, I can. It's a power of God's I can. The power of the Lord's I can. Meaning it is him working through you. It's the power of his action and his hand and his might moving in your being. The power of the almighty God moving, actually moving to turn down that sin. Moving to actually heal someone. Moving to actually repent. Moving the power of God's I can. You know, we grew up, a lot of us, watching Popeye. A bit strange. A one-eyed, pipe-smoking sailor who mumbled through the whole cartoon with very strange arms, but basically a decent guy. And then there was the bully, Bluto. And Popeye was no match for Bluto in his own power. And you'd watch as he got beaten up and beaten to a pulp. He's at his lowest point. And you'd see that little can of spinach. Because one thing about Popeye, he always carried around a can of spinach no matter what. And you're saying, Popeye, just get it. Drink it. Get that thing. Get that spinach in you. And he's doing his best. He's struggling. Sometimes Popeye would even use his pipe to get the spinach in his pipe. That's, it was kind of pathetic. He got it through his pipe. But you're rooting. And once he got that spinach, watch out. Watch out, Bluto. Because you're in trouble now. He ate his spinach. He's strong to the finish because he ate his spinach. He's Popeye the Sailor Man. He springs to his feet and he just pulverizes Bluto. And this raises some disturbing questions. First of all, Popeye always carried around a can of spinach, but he never carried around a can opener. What was that about? I mean, a little forward thinking, you'd probably do that, you know? But more than that, he'd see Bluto coming and nothing. He waits until he's beaten to a pulp. And then he thinks about, well, spinach might be a good idea. How about you see Bluto coming, you know, an ounce of prevention. Have a little spinach. Have an ounce of spinach. It, it'll prevent this. You know, you don't wait till you're beaten up. In the same way, you've got, a, you've got an enemy and you've got a bully. And he's, 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 he's interested in... in, in
intimidating you. And on your own, you're no match for him. And if you try on your own, he'll beat you. You might, you might overcome one thing and then you fall on your face the next thing. You'll be down on the floor. But you're not on your own and you have something better than what Popeye had. I mean, Popeye, you know, what you have something. I mean, he had that can that he opened up. But you have something better than S-P-I-N-A-C-H. You've got S-P-I-R-I-T. Use it. If you're all beat up in the Lord, you know, the power of the Spirit is much better. But, but the thing is, before you're on the floor, if you're on the floor, the power of the Spirit is, 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 is in the business of taking people from the floor and having them pop up on their feet again. You know, you go back, you go back. But before you even end up on the floor, how about use the Spirit to live your life, your daily life, and you won't end up on the floor so much. You know, use it to overcome obstacles in your life. Use it to encourage yourself when you're down and the enemy's in intimidating you, saying, no, no, the Bible says I can. And by the Spirit of God, I surely can. You know, our culture is filled with stories of the superhero who starts out weak, gets picked on by bullies, and then suddenly he's transformed by some accident or some granting of power, and the bully comes back and finds a surprise. It's all fiction, but in God it's true. You're the weak one in yourself. We all are. But by the Spirit of God, we have the power. The weak can become strong if they go by the power of God. You're actually able to live the story of a superhero in a sense. But when the bully returns to you who's been harassing you as in Satan, as in the enemy, when he returns to harass you again and intimidate you and mess you up and make you fall and discourage you, he should be in for a rude awakening. If you are living by the Spirit, he will be. Because it's not then, you're not fighting in your power. You're fighting in the power of the might of the Almighty. So get away from saying, I don't think I can do it. Because, because then you're wrapped up in yourself. Yeah, in yourself you're limited. But who says you're supposed to be living by yourself? You know, the real superheroes of this world are people like Abraham. Who couldn't become a father, but by the power of the dunamis of God... He becomes a father. You know that most superheroes were written by Jewish people? Do you know that? Most superheroes, the ones who came up with the Jewish people. Well, there's a reason for it. Because the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, he makes, he gives the real power of what is super, but it is in, it is in his spirit. Moses, 80 years old, with a problem speaking, by the power of God, he becomes a miracle worker and changes history. Joshua, the spirit comes on him, and he raises Jericho and takes the promised land. Samson, a man for, of whom we have no evidence that he was a bodybuilder, that he was a muscle man. I mean, think about that. You know, if he was, it wouldn't make any sense that he would be weak on his own. But he's weak on his own, but when the spirit of God comes on him, watch out. That's, a, that's, that's powerful. Isaiah, a man, I'm a man of unclean lips, Lord. I'm an impure man. I, don't, I can't. But by the power of the Spirit of God, he becomes a vessel. He becomes the, the crown of the prophets. As in all the prophets, Elijah, who had issues, he had his own stuff, he got discouraged and all these things, and yet he had the power to shut up the heavens by the Spirit of God. Miriam, Mary, who could not conceive by herself, but the dunamahi of the Spirit comes on and she bears the Messiah. 
the apostles who of themselves were some of the least likely people to change the world, but the Spirit comes on them and they change the world. You too are in that same camp. And you may have been weak. We all have been. You may have been beaten up by the enemy. You may be intimidated. But if you'll move by the power of the dunamahi, the spirit, the ruach hakodesh of God, the I can of God, then when the enemy comes to harass you, he's going to be surprised by the power of God in you. Apply. He comes with the same temptation, and you'll be able to say, you turn it, what happened there? How come they turned it down? The I can of God. Unlimited. How much power does God have? The Spirit is the power. How much power? Unlimited power. Almighty. You've got the magic to walk and do the will of God by the Almighty. And again, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It means you can do what He wants. But you can do it with complete power and authority. Remember the principle of the private and the general. A private who walks in the power of the general, who has the orders of, and doing the will of the general, has the papers of the general, has the authority of the general. If you may, we have maybe no power. But if we are living in the will of God, we have the authority of God. The dunamahi of the Spirit, you have the, to live in the I can of the Almighty. So the only issue is not what you can or can't. The issue is what can God do? Can God do it or not? God can do it. The key is live in that. What is stronger than the I can of the Almighty? Nothing is. What power on earth is as strong as that? No power on earth. Wow, that power is yours. The I can, by that I can overcome. I can be free. I can resist. I can rise. I can live in victory. I can do every single thing that God has called me to do. Believe that power. Receive that power. Live by that power. Trust, imply that power to every situation you're in. Whatever it is, no matter what the challenge, no matter what the past, no matter what your record is, by the power of God, I can. For greater is he who is in me, who is in you, than he that's in the world. And I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Amen. Happy Shavuot. Happy Pentecost. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the fact, the hope we have, that you can do all these things, that whatever we need to do, 
Lord, you have the power. You give us the power that we can do it. Lord, we praise you, bless you, and thank you, Lord. Lord, we say tonight, I can. In Messiah, I can. And we apply to all those areas of our lives. We may be saying, I couldn't do this. I couldn't. We say, by the power of the Spirit, I can. I can do all things. Say it together. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Lord, we declare your will. We set our hearts to walk more and more in your will, to do your will, that we also might walk in your power. We praise you, Lord, and thank you and bless you. Lord, let the blessing of your Spirit be upon all your people. Let the anointing of your Spirit be upon all your, your sons and daughters. Have your way in every life. Bring breakthrough, bring blessing. Have your way. And Lord, we commit in our hearts to do your will. We commit in our hearts to say yes to whatever it is. And, and, and that we will also... We will, we will, Lord, not accept anything that is not your will to say that I can't do something that you have called me to do. That you have, what you have put in your word for me to live, we, it is a sin to say I can't do that. That would make you a liar. But you've given us the power. We say we can. I can overcome that sin. I can turn away from that thing. I can turn down the temptation. I can stop doing that and I can take up the calling I can start becoming the person I'm supposed to be stay in the Lord's presence with this Lord anoint anoint your people and with our eyes closed before we seal this special time with some one last special thing before the song of praise will have fellowship there'll be refreshments and all that but before you can get what you want to get but before that listen closely if you are not 100% sure that you are saved, you're born again, that you're going to be with God forever, you need to be. Because the Bible is very clear. There's only, there's only two roads. One road leads to heaven, the other to hell. It's very clear and simple. Eternal life or eternal judgment. And Jesus said there's two roads, but in order to be on the road to eternal life, you must be born again. doesn't matter if you're Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, whatever you are. The only thing that matters is that you're born again to be saved in him it's very simple but if you're not sure you are this is your moment and this is for your sake because one moment one day you're gonna stand before the Lord it's eternal it's it's the day of judgment all of us when's that gonna happen you might think well it's gonna happen in a few years whenever your life's over but when's it gonna happen how far are you you're one heartbeat away because that heartbeat is the only thing that keeps you that's a gift from God once that stops that's eternity either eternal life or eternal judgment. God's will is that you'd find eternal life. So much so, He loves you so much, the Bible declares it, that He gave His own life in Messiah to you. He would give up His own life for you, and He did. And He overcame. And so this is the...
you're not 100% sure that you're born again, if you're not 100% sure where you're going to be a thousand years from now, you need to get to make it right right now. And God's going to be the greatest thing you could ever do. The good news is, I mean, the Lord is, Lord is calling you by name. He's saying, come, you, now's your time. Don't say tomorrow. You may never have this chance again. You may never recognize it again or be open. But God's saying, come, and, and I will not reject you if you come. That's the good news. The bad news is you can let the moment pass you by like the Lord calling the disciples. They had to say yes then. Don't let the moment pass you by. Don't let salvation pass you by. It's very simple. How do, you, how do you know? How do you get right with God? How do you become born again? Very simple. The Bible says whoever receives Him, truly, but for real, receives Him in your life. You make Him the Lord of your life. You follow Him. You trust in Him. You're going to be saved. You're going to be the child of God. And so I'm going to lead in a simple prayer. The Bible says it can begin with that. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Jesus says, Lord, I'm going to say a simple prayer. Just repeat after me. Lord God, I come to you now. I open my heart to you. Have your way in my life. I'm following you from this moment on with all my heart. I say yes. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you, Lord, for everything you have done. And thank you for dying for my sins and rising from death so I could be saved. Lord, I'm going to follow you with all my heart. I turn from the darkness. I turn to the light. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. And fill me with your spirit that I can do all things that I need to do. And I thank you, Lord, by your prayer, by your word and your promise, I can say, I am received, I'm blessed, I'm free, I'm cleansed, I'm yours. You are mine, I'm your disciple, you're my God, and I'll be with you always. Lead me on from this moment and all the days of my life. I thank you, I can say, I am saved, I'm born again, and your love surrounds me, and your spirit will be with me. Lead me on in the name of my Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus, in his name, and I say, amen. Find out how you can receive more of Jonathan's teaching and more. Get in touch with Hope of the World by writing to Hope of the World, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644, USA. Or visit us online at hopeoftheworld.org. Or you can call 1-800-YESHUA-1. Hope of the World was founded and dedicated to the goal of spreading God's word, love, and salvation to every land and people. To fulfill this charge, we send out teachings and the word of salvation through radio, internet, shortwave radio, written and audio media, Bibles, and much, much more. We also sponsor a multitude of compassion projects to the poor and needy, including food to the hungry, medical supplies to the sick, homes for children, the care of orphans, help to persecuted believers, help and care to disaster victims, and much more. To get in touch, or to help in any way, or we can help you, please write to Hope of the World, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 
0-800-270-7644-USA or visit us online at hopeoftheworld.org. Hi, I hope you're enjoying this message. If you would like your own copy of this teaching, just go to hopeoftheworld.org slash order. Here you can find Jonathan's entire catalog of sermons available on DVD, CD, and also MP4 and MP3 for instant download. That's hopeoftheworld.org slash order. Now back to the message.